All right, what's up, Traders Point family? How are we doing today? Good to see all of you. Want to uh, welcome you, whether you're joining us in person at one of our campuses or online. Uh, so many exciting things happening at TPO. Watch parties popping up uh, all over. Uh, get this, 26 states, 10 different countries. It's amazing to see. So uh, we, have, we have watch parties popping up in places I never dreamed they could pop up, right? Like, so not only like backyards, but also bars, nursing homes, college campuses, uh, all over. So we're really glad to have you wherever you may be joining us. And um, uh, if you remember, back on August the 2nd, we began a study in the Gospel of Luke. And uh, just by way of quick review, um, Luke is one of the four Gospels. It's the way the New Testament begins. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They are uh, four different accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus written by four different people to four different uh, groups of people to help us know and understand Jesus Better. If you've ever like wondered, like, why is it that we have these four Gospels that kind of tell us sort of the same thing, but sort of different things about Jesus, it's so that we get a well-rounded view of who he is. And I love that. And so uh, we said that Matthew's Gospel was written primarily with the Jewish people in mind. And so Matthew makes all kinds of references to, to Jewish tradition and to Jewish people, so that way they would know and understand the Messiah. Mark writes, though, towards the Gentile converts living in Rome. That's who he had in mind, so it changes sort of his uh, reference points. Uh, John, I love his heart, because he writes to communicate the truth of Jesus in the most understandable way. And this is why many times when people will say, you know, I'm sort of new to Bible study, like, where do I begin? I'll say, man, start with the gospel of John because John has you in mind. But I really love Luke's heart because Luke writes for a friend. Like Luke has a person in mind. He actually names him at the very beginning of his gospel. He, he writes to a guy named Theophilus. And we don't know a whole lot about him. We do know that he was somewhat well accomplished and successful. But we also know that he was still looking for purpose and he wasn't fulfilled. And we know that he had some, some questions that he didn't have answers to. And that perhaps he was a little bit skeptical, which is why Luke phrases what he says in the way that he says it. He says, I've taken the time to put together a well-ordered account. Because he knew that his friend valued that. And Luke was a well-accomplished guy. He was educated. He was a physician by trade. And he said, I've written this so that you might come to believe. In other words, we would say that, that Luke, in many ways, is the gospel for skeptics. And if there's a little bit of a skeptic in you, like there is a little bit of a skeptic in me, then this is going to be really, really good material for us because Luke is authentic and he's real and he's honest and he really wants us to know and understand who Jesus is and why that matters. And so as we begin this study, we sort of are uh, cutting it up into segments as we just sort of work our way through Luke. And so the first portion of our study, we just called it Settled in Spirit. Um, but then uh, we resumed a few weeks ago after our Behind the Mask series. Uh, and uh, Ryan and Kyle have kicked off the first two weeks of this second uh, segment. And by the way, haven't they done a great job? Those guys have just crushed it the last two weeks. Uh, I've been traveling and on the road, so I've joined on TPO and uh, just was uh, really challenged and fed by their teaching but we're calling the second segment of our study Strengthened in Spirit. And we're going to be in this uh, till November the 15th where we'll break and do a couple series towards the end of the year around the holidays. But I, I love this second segment because uh, we needed to be settled earlier in the year. Now, now we just need to be strengthened. Anybody with me? 
Like we are sort of like not in a sprint. We are in a marathon. We're just kind of grinding this thing out. And if you're anything like me, you, you just feel tired, maybe not physically, but emotionally. You feel tired in spirit. You're just like, man, like how, how much longer are we gonna kind of be in this season? And we really need strength that comes from God. And Luke gives it to us in this next section. So I'm really excited about chapter six as we spend the next few weeks in it because it's really, really practical stuff. It's really a message Jesus preaches and Luke breaks it down for us. And uh, it's uh, a message, the longer version of this message that, Luke, that uh, Jesus preaches can be found in Matthew. It's called the Beatitudes. Luke gives us a little bit more of a condensed version of it here in chapter 6. And it is a message that Jesus preaches that is incre- that's just filled with application. And I was thinking about it this last week, and, and I've just thought, you know, there's so many things going on around the world right now that you and I cannot control. Like there's, we, we can't control the election. We can't control the virus or the pandemic. We can't control the economy. And there's like so many things out of our hands. And so what, what we can do though is pay attention to our own hearts. What we can do is pay attention to the inputs that are going into our mind and what we allow there. What we can do is to pay attention to our own interpersonal relationships and make sure that we don't get lazy there to make sure that we are loving and compassionate towards the things that we can have influence in. That's where our focus needs to be. Not that those other things aren't important, but let's continue to pay attention to the fruit of our own hearts and lives. That's really what Jesus is getting at here as he is talking about something that really is so challenging in all of our lives. Just to give you a little bit of context before we get into chapter 6, if you've got a Bible or a Bible app, go ahead and, and turn there. But Jesus has just finished telling his disciples uh, not only to love their enemies, but how to love their enemies by offering mercy and grace to the very people that had treated them badly. And then he tacks on to the end of that. He's going to speak to an issue that uh, honestly is really, really complicated. And you're going to know why as soon as I mention it here in a minute. That, that the issue that Jesus brings up here, we've all wrestled with at some point in our lives as to how to apply it and how to handle it. Uh, and few of us really know how. We, we didn't get a, a class on this in college. All of us have likely been the recipients of somebody who tried to do this towards us, but they did it poorly and it really damaged the relationship or it really made us feel bad. And if you're anything like me, you, you've tried to maybe do this in the lives of those you care about, but you, you meant well, but you, you still mishandled it. And it's not a very popular subject to talk about within our culture, especially in the times in which we live. And I think you'll know why here in just a minute, but let me just phrase up Phrase it up with a question before we look at what Jesus teaches us. And here's the question. Don't answer it too quickly, but here's the question. Is it ever okay to judge? And I think what we don't like is that, that word right there because it comes with a, a, lot of, a lot of baggage. It comes with maybe a lot of um, painful memories of the past. And what's your knee-jerk reaction to that question? And the idea of uh, judging or, or judgment sort of carries with it a negative connotation in our minds and probably for really good reason. As I was thinking about this last week, there was a few images just from kind of pop culture that kind of entered into my mind as I was thinking about the word judgment. And maybe uh, this lady right here comes to mind. 
Judge Judy. And, uh, you know, I'm sure she's a very lovely lady. I don't mean to judge her, but uh, uh, bad joke, dad joke. All right. Uh, but uh, she's terrifying. Right? Do you ever watch that show? It's like uh, that. I would never want to try to, uh, you know, get something past her. I don't think you could. Or maybe this image right here, Ned Flanders from The Simpsons. You know, just the next door neighbor who's just kind of holier than thou. This is my favorite one right here, the church lady from Saturday Night Live. Remember her or him? I don't know. Uh, you know, isn't that special? And so these are these images and nobody wants to be on the other side of that. So we look at that and go, is it ever okay to judge? And maybe there's many of us who are like, no, it's never okay to judge. And yet at the same time, you have to say, no, wait a second. If we were to frame it a little bit different, has there ever been a time in your life where you uh, were witnessing somebody that you love and care about make poor decisions? And should you say something? Well, isn't that kind of like judgment? Well, yes, but no, but not really, but kind of like it's complicated, isn't it? Like if you are a uh, parent of a child of any age, I mean, there are going to be times when you're going to need to make a judgment of some kind, an assessment of some kind, and you're going to have to choose whether or not you're going to speak up or stay silent. How about this? Has there ever been a season in your life where maybe you were um, confused and you were making poor decisions and your life sort of ended up in a ditch relationally, financially, spiritually, and uh, nobody said anything. And as if you were like, does anybody love me enough to speak up, to speak words of, of truth in love, to speak words of compassion? And even though it may not be easy for me to hear, I definitely need someone to speak. Man, there's definitely been times in my life where people that maybe hadn't earned the right to speak into it spoke and it hurt. And then others who had earned the right to speak, but they didn't. And that hurt too. This is a complicated subject. And we're going to need the wisdom of God to know how to navigate it well. And Jesus gives us that wisdom in Luke chapter 6. Because as it turns out, there are going to be lots of moments in life. And I want you to pay attention to this next phrase. Because really this is the heartbeat of the message. There's going to be so many moments in life where love requires us to say something. And it's not going to be easy. It's, going to, it's not going to be easy to say. It's not going to be easy to hear. You know, there's, there's sometimes when love requires us to stay silent. And to just say, well, maybe that won't be the most helpful thing in, in the moment. And I'm going to allow the Spirit of God to do what only He can. And knowing the difference between whether you speak or stay silent is going to require the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And there is a lot at stake. And when handled well, speaking the truth in love or hearing the truth in love can be a pivotal moment in our lives that changes everything. If it's handled poorly, that can change everything too. So let's look at the wisdom that only Jesus can give. And he starts off in the passage and he says this. He goes, he almost appears to be sort of settling the matter before we can even talk about it. He says, do not judge others and you will not be judged. Now, most of the time, this is where we stop because we like that. Right? Hey, hey don't, don't judge and you, and you won't be judged. But he, but he goes on. He, he has more to say. And he says, and do not condemn others or it will all come back against you. Now what I want you to notice is that Jesus seems to be making some sort of a distinction between judgment and condemnation. That's why he mentions the two in these back-to-back -back statements. And there are moments 
where it is going to be difficult not to judge. So just a, a, a quick question. How many of you like to be judged? Anybody? There's a couple of you, a couple of weird ones. All right. Not to judge. All right. Um, how many of you have judged others? That we, we, come on, you got to raise your hand at that. We, we do it all the time. Whether it's internally, we don't, maybe we don't ever say it, but maybe mentally you sort of judge others. We, we do it all the time. It is impossible not to judge. And there's going to be moments when actually we, we need to make appropriate judgments. If you are um, a boss and you've got employees, like you've got to make some assessments, some judgments at times. Um, if you are a parent, You've got to speak. I mean, a loving parent will know when to speak up because to not speak would actually, you, you would say, well, that's not the most loving thing to do. Like if I see my child veering off in a certain direction, I need to speak up. There are judgments that we need to make all the time. Sometimes you have to. What Jesus is saying here is that there is a difference between making an appropriate assessment of something and condemning someone. Those are very, very different. In fact, let me give you a definition of condemnation. Condemnation is coming to hasty conclusions about someone else's actions, motives, and behaviors without taking the time to get all the facts. And then it is a failure to understand where they are coming from or what they are going through. And in order to understand where they are coming from or what they're going through, that requires a relationship. There are some people we haven't earned the right to speak truth into quite yet. And there are others that we have. And Jesus says what is so damaging to people and relationships isn't that you speak truth into somebody's life. But you speak up in such a way that maybe it is abrasive. Maybe it is shaming. Maybe it feels like condemnation. And Jesus says, if, if, if you do that, then that's eventually going to come back on you. But if you can forgive others, you will be forgiven. We, we talked about that uh, several weeks ago. And then he says, give and you will receive. And I think oftentimes we look at these verses maybe within the context of financial generosity. And I think the principle certainly applies. But Jesus is talking about interpersonal relationships here. He says, give and you'll receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. That is a great description there. What's he talking about? Pressed down, shaken together. You know, a couple times a year I have board meetings in New York City and oftentimes I'll try to take one of my kids with me and just kind of create some memories. So we'll go for a day on either side of the meeting and just do some fun stuff around the city. And all of my kids over the years, they've always wanted to go to one place, um, the M&M store in Times Square. Not my favorite place to go, not because, you know, I don't want to have a good time, but because I would just rather not pay double the price for regular old M&Ms you can get at the gas station. That's just me, all right? But uh, I'll take them there, and what they'll do is they'll get like, a, if you've ever been, or maybe just any sort of candy store at the mall, you get like those clear bags, and you go around to the dispensers, and you're filling them up, and right when their bag is starting to get kind of full, what would they do? They'd press it down, they'd shake it together, so they could get as much in there. That's what Jesus is talking about. And he says that when we can give this type of grace in our interpersonal relationships, that's what will be given to us. And he says it will be chock full. Like pressed down, shaken together, making room for more. Why? Because we all need it. We all need more. I don't know anybody who's like, oh, I could use a little less grace in my life. No, we need, I need, as, I need, I'll speak for me. I need as much as I can get. 
and the thank you and the generosity that we apply to our interpersonal relationships it's in the same way and in verse 39 Jesus then gives this illustration he goes can one blind man lead another won't they fall into a ditch you ever been in that stubborn relationship <laughs> It's like the blind leading the blind. Neither one will give. Neither one will give grace or generosity. And you both sort of end up in a ditch. Instead, he says in verse 40, students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. Uh, He's saying, you and I are the students. He's the teacher. And he says, when it comes to interpersonal relationships, don't simply reflect the spirit that the other person gives back to you. Be a reflection of who Jesus is to them. That's what that means. And then he says in verse 41, He gets to the heart of the passage. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Now, maybe you've heard that passage before, but think about that for a minute. The visual of that is so bizarre, isn't it? Because, I mean, when was the last time you ever had a log in your eye, literally? Like any of you ever had like a, like a, a piece of dust or sawdust or so, something, allergies in your eye? Like we've all had that, right? It's like so annoying. It's microscopic. You can't see it, but you can feel it. But none of us have ever had like a two by four in our eye. But Jesus is, is sort of giving this analogy and he's saying, hey, listen, whenever you've got like a, a, a board in your eye, um, Don't just walk up to your friend and go, hey, I'm noticing like a little speck of sawdust in your eye. If you do that, he's saying you've lost all credibility. So what does it mean? Well, oftentimes within our society and culture, we sort of use that to say, well, we shouldn't say anything at all. Uh, With this phrase, who am I to judge? Like I'm not perfect, you're not perfect, so why don't you just do you and I'll do me? And Jesus Jesus isn't saying that here. Now what does he say? He goes, first, remove the two by four from your head. Because we would all agree between a two by four and a piece of sawdust, what's the bigger problem? And once you remove that from your eye, then, then you can effectively go to your friend with some credibility and say, hey, you know what? I I noticed that you got a little speck of sawdust in your eye and take my word for it because recently I had a board in my head but and it wasn't very much fun, but I removed it and it was painful but now the quality of life has improved dramatically. And I can actually see so much clearer. And I'd like to help you too before that speck of sawdust ever turns into a log. And what, th- what happens is a, is a generosity of spirit here that turns us from a potential hypocrite into a credible friend. So how do we navigate that? And and I can't think of very many subjects that are as difficult to apply as this. Like knowing when to speak up and into somebody's life and knowing when not to. And when you speak, how do you do it? Like what spirit, what tone do you have? And nobody likes to be judged. And our culture values individualism and autonomy. And yet at the same time, love often requires us to speak up. Let me just give you a couple of examples. Um, when uh, I was a senior in high school, I have a sister who's two years younger than me. She was a sophomore. My parents went out of town uh, for a weekend and um, she had some friends over late at night. They all kind of hung out outside in the driveway. 
And I went to bed. I got up early the next morning and I was mowing the yard. And I noticed my sister's trunk uh, was popped open. So I went over to close it. And when I went to close it, I kind of raised it up to then close it. But when I raised it up, I noticed there was like a brown paper bag kind of sticking out from underneath the spare tire. And so I kind of pulled up the spare tire and I saw a bunch of alcohol bottles kind of lining the wheel well of the, of the spare tire. And um, in that moment, I, I knew I needed to do something. I had a decision to make, right? Like I love my sister. And so I had a decision to make. I could go, well, you know, it uh, looked like she had a good time last night, shut the trunk, never say anything. Or do I speak up? Do I say something? And I chose in that moment to speak up. Now, I will say that I could have done it with a lot more generosity of spirit. Let me just say it that way, all right? Um, but, like, I was a teenage boy in the frontal lobe, hadn't quite fully developed yet. And some would argue it still hasn't, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but I gathered up all the bottles, took them inside. I don't, know, I don't recommend you do this, but I, I did have fun doing it. I kind of lined them all up on the dresser. And then I woke her up, <laughs> and I was like, wait, what's that? And uh, so it sort of had probably too much fun with that. Um, but love required me to say so. Now, by the way, she's uh, turned out way better than me. She owns her own business. She's married. She has great kids. She lives in Nashville. I'd like to think it's because she has a great older brother who would speak truth into her life. But I'd, maybe not. Um, but I, let me give you another one. Uh, a few years ago, there was a church that... Uh, I knew their leaders really, really well, and they called me, and they just asked for a little bit of counsel. They said, hey, <clears throat> we have somebody on staff. I knew who they were. So we have somebody on staff who's um, uh, uh, engaged to be married, but we just found out that he and his fiance are purchasing furniture for their new home on the church credit card, and they've tried to hide the purchases from us, and uh, they've lied about it. What should we do? And man, I got to tell you, man, my heart broke because I knew them personally. And I knew how gifted they were. And I knew how much they loved Jesus. And I don't know how they slipped into that uh, mode in their life. But I remember just with my heart broken, said, said you're going to have to let them go. Now, d- does that mean that I think that they're beyond God's grace? Absolutely not. Does that mean that they, they couldn't be rehired and restored into ministry at some point? Absolutely they could. But love wouldn't require you to look the other way on that. Love actually requires you to, stay some, to say something for their good and for the good of others. But this is complicated, isn't it? And I would imagine that right now, because I've given you just those two examples, your mind may be connecting some dots of some, maybe some situations in your life, whether past, present, or future. Of some conversations that maybe you know you need to have, or maybe some conversations that didn't go so well, or maybe some potential conversations that you know maybe need to happen, but you're not quite sure how they can happen. And this gets so challenging because some of us, depending upon your personality, right? Like other, some of us in the room, we're, we're kind of aggressive types and we, we don't really mind confrontation. Or maybe we see things just purely black and white and we're or so justice driven. It's like, man, yeah, I got to say something. And we don't really pay attention to the tone or to the attitude of our heart, and we end up maybe crushing the other person, or maybe it goes the other way, and and we're sort of like kind of afraid of confrontation, and we're peacemakers, and we know we need to say something, but we don't want to say something, because what if they take it the wrong way, and maybe we don't say something that way. I mean, it gets really, really challenging. We're going to have to give each other lots and lots of grace. That's really kind of the issue, is how do we apply this? And we look at the life and the ministry of Jesus and we see that oftentimes he spoke words of judgment into the lives of people who should have known better. The religious leaders, he was actually very direct with them. You might even say harsh. He called them liars. He called them thieves. Why did Jesus get so upset with them? Well, because they were pushing people further away from him. But then one day he came along 
the booth of a tax collector named Matthew, who was also cheating people. But Matthew didn't know God. And Jesus' tone was very different. And he said, hey, Matthew, why don't you come follow me? And another day, he comes across the path of a, of a man who was somewhat vertically challenged, a guy named Zacchaeus, and he was ripping people off. And Jesus said, hey, I'd like to have lunch with you because, Zacchaeus, your life can be so much better. You're better than this. And one time, he came across a woman at a well who was dying of thirst, not just physically, but relationally and emotionally and spiritually. One broken relationship after another, and Jesus didn't shame her or guilt her, but he gave her hope. And we see Jesus perfectly applying this, the principle that he's laying out here in Luke chapter 6 all throughout his life and his ministry. And it's because of this, and I want you to remember this or write this down, that there is a big difference between making judgments, which we're all going to need to do at times in our interpersonal relationships. Love requires it. But there's a big difference between that and being judgmental. Being judgmental is writing people off. Being judgmental is actually enjoying a little bit too much watching others squirm. Being judgmental is actually saying, you know what, I'm going to actually communicate with you in such a way that says you're beyond hope. You're beyond the grace of God. It demoralizes people. And so how do we do this? How do we speak up and into the lives of others? Well, primarily what Jesus is concerned about here is the attitude of our hearts. Jesus judges. The Spirit of God is there partly right now to bring conviction. What do you think conviction is? Conviction is a, is a judgment of some kind. It is an assessment of some kind of our actions, our behaviors, and our words. Because love requires it. But the way that Jesus judges us is with a generosity of spirit. A, a way out of it. A hope for the future. He knows the whole truth. About you and me. He knows the whole truth of the extent of our sin. And yet he still reaches out to us in mercy. Granting us forgiveness through his death on a cross. And life through his resurrection. And the grace we give should mirror the grace that has been given to us. And it is the grace that we still need. See he is gracious to the gracious. And he's generous to the generous. And all of us, before we ever speak into anybody's life, we have to first ask God to speak into ours. And we have to do a heart check. And we have to recognize that we've all got our own junk. And I, I've got to acknowledge some stuff that I need to deal with in my life. And I need to lay my heart before the Spirit of God and let Him do spiritual surgery on me. I, I'm not in a position of authority over anyone. But you know what? Romans chapter 14 verse 10 says, We all will stand before the judgment seat of God. And that statement right there is enough to humble me. And nobody has ever been changed by shame. Nobody's ever been changed by a guilt trip. Maybe temporarily, but not long term. And what God is after is not behavior modification in your life. What God is after is heart transformation. And heart transformation requires two things. Truth wrapped in grace. And man, there's nothing more powerful than that. Like, like all truth and no grace, like I can't hear you. All grace and no truth, it won't change me. But you actually take those two things together and it has the, the power 
to soften the hardest of hearts and turn it around. And so it's this, it's this balancing act that admittedly is so, so hard between being overly accommodating or overly abrasive. And we can't be either one. And actually, if we're going to err, we just need to err on the side of grace and let the Spirit of God do what only He can. And I remember the truth of that came home to me so clearly when I was in college. Um, there was one semester where I was just really getting undisciplined. And I know I'm probably the only one in the room that ever had that happen in college. But um, I, I was staying up too late. I was sleeping in too long. I, I wasn't working hard enough. I was slacking in schoolwork. And, um, and really, I needed somebody to speak into my life. And um, there was one class that I was taking. It was an English composition class. And uh, there was a test coming up. I wasn't motivated to study for it. I was really letting some of my grades slip. And I just didn't prepare for it. And I remember I, I went in, and I just kind of was winging it. And I took the test, and I bombed it badly. And when I say bomb, I don't mean just like a, an F. I mean, like out of 100, I got like a 22%. Like it was really, really bad. And I remember getting the result back. And I, I remember I got angry and I got defensive. And, and I knew inside that I hadn't done the work. I hadn't prepared myself. But I was like, I don't deserve a 22%. Do I deserve like maybe a 45%? Yeah, but not a 22%. And so I asked for a meeting with a professor. And I remember I went into her office and I sat down and I began to whine and complain. And I said the test was too hard and she didn't cover this in class. And, and uh, you know, just trying to pin the blame on, on her, really, is what I was trying to do. And I remember she sat there and she listened to me. And she said, uh, this, was, this was a Friday. She said, Aaron, thank you so much for coming to talk to me. <clears throat> she goes, give me the weekend to think about it. I was like, all right. So... Weekend went by, went back into her office on Monday afternoon. And I will never forget this conversation. It's the reason why it's in an illustration right now. This happened like some 24 or 5 years ago. There's lots of conversations I had with people and professors that I don't remember. I remember this one. And I remember sitting down in her office and she walked around her desk and she took off her glasses and she looked at me. She said, I've given a lot of thought to what you said. And she goes, honestly, she goes, I don't think that the test was as hard as what you think. She goes, I think that you could exert a little bit more effort because Aaron... You're better than this. She's like, you're a better student than this. You're a better person than this. And she goes, however, I don't know for sure. She said, maybe the test was a bit harder than what I intended it for it to be. So she said, here's what I'm willing to do. I'm willing to raise your grade. I'm willing to, 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 to give you a better grade than what I think is reflected from your work. And I walked out of her office Stunt. That was not how I expected the conversation to go. I thought she might tell me I could retake the test for half credit. I thought she might try to make me feel bad. I thought she might try to shame me. Turns out she had a whole lot of wisdom. Because she, she knew in that moment that by trying to, to, to push on me or to lean on me or to shame me, that it wasn't going to, that, that maybe it would get me to work better, like it would work a little bit temporarily. What she was going after was long-term change. And it, it stuck because what happened to me is I walked out of there feeling convicted, not by her, but by the Spirit of God to say, I didn't deserve that. And it made me want to be better. And that's what grace does. Sometimes, like the Holy Spirit wants to speak through you to the lives of others, but the Holy Spirit doesn't want you to be Judge and jury. You've got to allow God to do what only he can. And grace is a more powerful motivator 
than what shame ever will be. Now, once again, don't misapply. Does that mean that we should, she, like every single time she should have raised my grade? No, and she didn't, believe me, all right? There were, the next time around, not necessarily the same deal. But it is to say, there's nothing more powerful than grace. And God knows that. And there's nothing more powerful than a group of imperfect people coming shoulder to shoulder with others and simply saying, I've been there too. In fact, I love these words. They're so powerful when you're talking to somebody who may be struggling. It's just these words here. Man, man, I have too. I mean, I'm really, really going through a hard time. You know, if you just go, hey, man, I have too. Man, I'm really struggling with this addiction right now. And I'm so glad you told me. I have too. And I'm letting my anger get the best of me. And I totally get that. I have too. You know what this is called? <clears throat> this is called identification. This is called attunement. This is called empathy. And there's something so powerful about that. It's a common human experience. But we don't just go, hey, hey but, but it's okay. You just kind of continue to, to, to do you. No, we actually challenge each other to say, no, but you know what? There is a, a better way. We don't have to stay in this rut. We can actually come out of it together. And we serve a God who doesn't just judge us at a distance. We serve a God who is willing to come close. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says, We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. See, God is the only one who has the power and the position to judge anyone, but instead he sent his son to become our judgment. So if we can't offer that same kind of spirit to others, then we have to ask ourselves, does his Holy Spirit really reside within me? And you know, one of the most common objections that people have to church, I hear it all the time, is, is well, I'll be judged there. Or Christians are judgmental. And you know what? At times we can be. They have kind of a point. And I think what we need to do is not go to the other side of just being overly accommodating to everything. We need to come back to the gospel center to keep these two things in balance of truth and grace is to, to recognize that this is a place for everyone without shame. That you should never feel shamed. That you should never be pinned to the ground by your past. That there is a way forward. That God is is for you, not against you. That God can see a better way. It's why Jesus went to a cross. And without that, none of us would have any sort of hope. And so if God can't save everyone <laughs> through his grace, then he can't save anyone. Isaiah puts it so well in chapter 53, verse 6. He says, all of us, all of us, like sheep, have gone, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us so I want you to know what kind of church you walked into or what kind of church you just joined online is that we want to offer a hand of help, not a finger of condemnation. That we're going to love people right where they are and offer grace. Why? Because that's what we've been given and that's what we continue to need. And we're going to offer mercy and forgiveness because all of those things are what transformation is made of. 
and transformation is for everyone. You see, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. There are not degrees of sin. There's just plain old sin. And so regardless of your past, regardless of the mistakes that you've made, regardless of the divorce, regardless of the addiction, regardless of the bankruptcy, regardless of the anger issues, there may be consequences to behavior. But God says, you can still have a future. You can still be redeemed by my grace. There is a better way. And today, if you have not responded to that grace, man, I'd love to introduce you to Jesus. I'd love for you to place your trust in him right now to reach out and claim what he died for you to have. And not just for you, but for the people that you know and love as well. Because that is the only way forward. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you right now. And I thank you for how practical this teaching is, even though it's so hard to hear. And God, we need your help to know how to apply this because it can get messy. Relationships are challenging, yet at the same time, we know that love requires the best of us. So God, help us to keep this tension and balance between truth and grace, especially in the season that we are in right now as a people and a nation. And God, I pray that if there's somebody listening to this, that right now today, maybe they started listening without hope. And I pray that here as we wrap up here in a few minutes, they'd find hope. That God, here in a few minutes, they, they wouldn't, would be able to, to drop the chains of the shame that have been binding them up for so long. And I pray that you would give us wisdom to know how to navigate this throughout our lives. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your grace, because without it, none of us have hope. So now give us the strength to pass it on to others. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody says.